Bible, turn with me please to Ephesians. We're working our way. Um, sometimes it feels like snail pace time um, through, through Ephesians. Um, and we're at chapter 5 and we're going to read from verse 3 just down to verse 14. And as we hear this read, we remind ourselves that it is indeed the word of the living God. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So read God's precious word. We're going to come to that which is your word, and we pray that you would speak to us through it. We pray that Above the voice of mere man, the voice of God might be heard and that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and use it to change us and mould us into more like the people of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. We've noticed over these past few weeks, certainly the, the kind of three, the three strands of that is so important to any church. Unity, maturity, and purity. And in the verses that we read there, we continue with that theme of purity, of purity of life to which, as believers in Christ, we have been called. We noted last week that we were to be imitators of God. That is, living a life of love, just as Christ loved us. And in verses 3 and 4, Paul spells out clearly, I, I would say crystal clear, what is to be avoided 
In verses 5 and 7, he tells us why they're to be avoided. And then in verses 8 through to 14, he again tells them and us how we are now to live in the light of all that he has just said. In verses 1 and 2, he spoke, as we saw last week, of the self-sacrifice of Christ. Well, here in these verses, he speaks what I guess we could call the self-indulgence of humanity. Spoke of the love of Christ. Here, he speaks of the lust of humanity. And friends, these things are written for our learning. And there can be the danger when we come to, to, to verses like this, particularly verses 3 and 4, when we come to verses like that, that we can read such verses and think, nah, they don't apply, they don't apply to me. Well, let him, let her, who thinks they stand firm, take heed lest they fall. So let's consider these verses and see what they teach us. I want to do it under four, four headings based on the outline that I gave earlier. And firstly, from verse 4, we see Paul addressing the problem of immorality. Notice carefully that this is the believers that Paul is speaking to. He says, but among you, that is, among the dearly loved children of God, among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity, or of greed. And he gives us, if you like, the reason why. Because these things are improper for God's holy people. These three sins have already been mentioned in chapter 4, verse 19. And here, all three of them are in reference to sexual sins. Although greed, while can include sexual lust, can also refer to, as one commentator points out, any kind of drive to have more. Now, it seems to me, as I watch the news, as I read my papers, uh, as I spend limited time on social media, uh, as I speak with people, it seems to me that society in general today has a real problem handling sexuality. And the church, generally speaking, quite often doesn't help the situation. You don't need me to stand up here this morning and tell you that, that, that there, are, there are problems everywhere with adult, adultery, with promiscuity, with same-sex relationships, with pornography, with gender neutral. Same-sex relations. And as Christians, as Christians, we need to have a biblical view on sexuality. 
We need to know what the Bible teaches. And we need to be prepared to not just live by it, but actually, brothers and sisters, to hold firmly to it. In the beginning, God created them male and female. Male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and will be united to his wife. And it is within that God-given context of a loving marriage that the gift, and it is a gift, of sexual intercourse is to be enjoyed. And as Christians... We should have, as John Stott says, a high and a holy view of it and as it being in its right place, God's gift. But it has become so twisted. And Paul, as I said here, he's covering everything. And he says, did you notice carefully what he says? He says, let there not even be a hint. So so this covers not just actions, but thought. Not just what we might do, but what we might watch. What are you watching? You know, surveys, surveys continually show that pornography, especially among Christian men, is a real problem. And if we don't look at these issues, and if we don't address these issues, and if we bury our heads in the sand over them, then we're the much poorer for it, brothers and sisters. And I know some of this might not be comfortable to sit in here. It's hardly comfortable to preach, but it's here in God's Word. And we need to have a biblical view of sexuality. Because we are bombarded with it from every angle. And we dabble with it to our great danger. And that is why Paul says, not even a hint. There is such a thing as the off button. There are situations in life when we just need to flee. Remember Joseph when he was caught in temptation with Mrs. Potiphar? He didn't hang about. He fled. And that's what some of us need to do. And we need to be aware of the things that we watch. And we need to switch it off. It seems to me it, it gets kind of worse and worse. When I was, when I was growing up, f- films that, that might have a, a, an 18 certificate now quite freely are 12s and different things. We are saturated with it. Paul says, don't even have a hint. 
push the off button. Paul doesn't say push the off button, but push the off button. Flee from it. Have nothing to do with it. Live a life of purity. I don't want to labor this point. But as God's dearly loved children, let there not be a hint of any sexual immorality or impurity. But then you'll notice that Paul adds greed. That kind of desire to have more. And I would suggest that that desire of greed motivates both sexual sins and all kinds of other sins. And as Christians, we can be quick to condemn sins of a sexual nature and put them way up there. But then when the sin of greed, in whatever form arises, we kind of somehow, we don't see it as bad. Sin is sin. And it seems to me we live in as much a greed-saturated culture and society as, as a sex-saturated culture and society. The constant want for more, for more, for more. Again, hear Paul's words. But among you, among God's dearly loved children, there must not even be a hint. Such behavior, such thinking is improper for those who are God's holy people. Immorality. And secondly, Paul moves on and he speaks of vulgarity. Verse 4. He moves, as it were, from actions to words. And he again tells us how out of place obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking is for the believer. And I, excuse me, and I guess that this can be a real temptation for many. Especially, though, though not exclusively, in the workplace. Where language and obscenities and coarse and, and rude talk and jokes are all the rage. And what does a Christian man do? Is he many laugh along? And I've been there at his heart. And in many ways, the one kind of follows on, I think, from the other. Because those who have a loose moral view on sexuality and other things will often be those who enjoy joking the most about it. And as a believer... When you're caught up in that, it is hard. When you're in that environment, I, I've been there. The school classroom or staff room, the university, the work canteen. What do you do when what is being said is nothing but obscene and foolish and coarse and, yes, blasphemous? Let me just kind of say that, that Paul's not here rejecting humor, okay? It's good to laugh. <laughs> and there is humor that is good and clean, albeit it's increasingly hard to find. It's not some kind of spoil sport. 
But what are we to do in these situations? Well, Paul gives us something that we can do. Because he says, be thankful. And it seems to me, as I kind of read, what, what Paul is doing here is, he is kind of, what, he, what he's doing throughout this, this chapter is, he's kind of contrasting the old with the new. That the Christian's response to, to these things, to, to, to things like the God's gift of sexuality and in its proper form, that the Christian's response is to be one of thanksgiving for it. As opposed to the pagan's way, which is to just be vulgar about it. Friends, purity of life matters. It matters in our actions. It matters in our words. It matters in our thoughts. Let us live a life worthy of our calling. Let us, as God's dearly loved children, strive for, as we've been seeing in these recent weeks, unity, maturity, purity. Why? Why bother? Well, notice from verses 5 to 7, Paul speaks of judging. <coughs> Judgment is something that our society in general does not want to face up to. Just doesn't want to face up to consequences, doesn't want to face up to judgment. Sadly, even among Christians, the thought of, of judgment, the thought of, as Paul speaks here, God's wrath on those who are disobedient, amongst many Christians, is at best ignored, at worst disputed. Many feel embarrassed about it, and therefore they only focus on God's love. Well, friends, that's not a balanced theology. It's not a true picture of the character and the person of God to overemphasize one of his characteristics against another. The Bible is clear on, as Paul says here, that no immoral, no impure, or no greedy person, because all such things are adultery, which lies at the heart of a rebellion against God, thinking that we can do it our way, no such person, Paul says, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And while it might not be a very popular subject, it is a biblical subject. And although some may be thinking I'm going to move on to something else, it is here in the passage. And it needs to be dealt with. And you need to respond as God leads and guides you. You see, people like to think that they can get away with things. Things done in darkness, things done in secret. Kind of as long as I don't get caught, no problem. No, who's going to find out? Well, recent news reports 
show that even crimes that have been committed decades ago are now being brought to trial, are now being judged. And what Paul is saying in regards to God's wrath and to God's judgment here is this. Be sure that it's going to happen. Be sure of this happening. And notice how he also tells us something that we do well to take on board. I've been really troubled by this this week in study. Let no one deceive you with empty words. You see, in Paul's time, Gnosticism was alive and kicking. And one of the main teachings, one of the main thoughts of Gnosticism was that you could sin as much as you like with your body without damaging your soul. You could do whatever you want with your body. Well, does that not sound familiar? <laughs> they would say, they would come and they would say, well, you're saved, so live as you please. If you're saved by grace, then go on ahead and sin. Because if you do that, then God's grace may be seen more and more. It's an argument that Paul faces head on in Romans 6. Don't be deceived by such empty, false lies. And such teaching, sadly, is alive and well today. Yes, God is a God of love. Then he'll go and say, and all this talk of judgment and hell, don't worry about it. All will be well. We all die. We all go to heaven. That's the populist voice today. That is the empty and that is the deceptive words of today. You hear it every time, particularly a celebrity dies. Where everybody is up above, looking down and often carrying on on the things that they did while down there. Recent footballer died. So God's now got the best left back in his eleven. Empty, deceptive lies. The Bible paints a picture, a different picture. And Paul clearly states here in this verse that no immoral, no impure, no greedy person, no idolater has any inheritance whatsoever. Friend, do not be deceived. There is but one way into the kingdom of Christ and of God. And that is through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that faith and that trust and that new life in him will be seen in how we live our lives here in the now. Universalism 
may very well be attractive, but it's a lie. And God's wrath will one day fall on all who reject Christ. These are hard things. But they are serious things. They are what the Bible teaches. And I don't stand in judgment. That's God's job. But I urge you, do not listen to and do not be deceived by empty words and by deception. That's why I encourage you all to go home and do as the Bereans did. Study the scriptures. See if these things that are being said are true. Because as Paul says, judgment awaits. And finally notice from verses 8 and 14, Paul speaks of shining. Paul again turns here in in these verses to the kind of comparing and contrasting that that he quite often does. He's he's talking about what we we once were and what what we now are. And, and, And he uses a good biblical symbolism for it of light and darkness. You know your Bibles, you know that, that that symbolism is used throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament alike. That the, the darkness, if you like, symbolizes, represents ignorance, evil, error. While light represents truth and life and righteousness. And Paul's saying, as children of light, as children of light, we are to be fruitful. Many of you know I'm not a gardener at all. I don't really know anything about them. But I do know that the impact that light has on plant life and, 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 and the growth that it brings and the fruit that it bears. Well, likewise with you and I. As we live in the light of God, as his dearly loved children, so we should be more and more producing the fruit of moral and ethical character. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us that we are to find out what pleases the Lord. You know, sometimes we're too busy pleasing ourselves. Find out what pleases the Lord and do it. Do it. And have nothing to do with the darkness other than by the way you live your life to expose it. Jesus tells us, doesn't he, in Matthew 5, that we are the light of the world. 
that we are to let our light shine before everyone. And the way we do that is by how we live our lives in relation to morality. It's about how we speak to and of others. How brightly is your light shining where God has placed you? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. In the classroom, in the university, in the workplace, in the home, in the street, amongst your neighbours. How brightly are we shining? Because you see, even a little light lightens up the darkness. You don't need much light to light up the darkness. Remember when I was a wee boy and was put to bed and the light was put out and you would sneak a torch in and it's even a little little torch would light up the darkness, would expose it. How brightly is your light shining for Jesus? Do those you live with, work with, rub shoulders with, see by what you say and what you do and how you live that you are Christ's? I used to have a, a poster up in our, our church, a picture of a judge kind of thing, and, and underneath it said, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? Then in verse 14, we have what many of, of, of the scholars see actually as an early baptismal hymn. And in many ways, it summarizes what this new life in Christ is all about, indeed what the gospel is all about. I think it's John MacArthur in one of his books refers to, to, to it as a capsule summary of the gospel. The call to wake up, rise from the dead. Well that reminds us, does it not, of Ephesians chapter 2. Because when we looked at that many moons ago, where, where Paul tells us that we are dead in our transgressions. And it's only Christ who can rescue us. It's only Christ who can raise us up. John Stott, speaking of this verse, says this. And with this I finish. Here, our former condition in Adam is graphically described in terms of sleep, death, and darkness. That is what those who are without Christ, that is their situation. Sleep, death, darkness. Yet Christ rescues us from that, friends. 
And conversion is nothing less than awakening out of sleep, of rising from death and being brought out of darkness and into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. Is that your experience? Don't listen to deceptive words. Study these things. See if they are true. And allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God to make you more like the child of God. Let's pray.